Thanks for taking some time to listen to this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe God will speak to you right where you are. Now, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear this week's message. Like I said, if you are a guest, things are going to look a little different today. Uh, My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here at Elevate Church, and this is our annual until Jesus runs this town offering. And a lot of times you see people kind of, you know, giving reluctantly or begrudgingly. That's not what we do here. In fact, we get excited about all that God is doing. And I'm going to share a lot of things today that God is doing. But before I get to that, how many of you know that there is a difference between being full and fulfilled? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you can be full, but you can also not be fulfilled at the same time. Let me say it this way. Um, You can be full and miserable. Hello, Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about now, right? There's a big difference between just being full and fulfilled. And a lot of times we think that, that maybe if we can get full, like if we can just have more of, thinking that more of something actually translates into us being more fulfilled. But it doesn't. Because if you've been around any amount of time, you understand that, that more does not mean more fulfillment in life. But a lot of times we're chasing more, maybe more in our marriage, maybe more in our career or our finances, believing that's what's going to, to fill us up. But, but more does not necessarily mean fulfilled. I'll say it this way. You can have a full plate but an empty heart. Did you know that? Like you can have full hands, but you can be empty on the inside. And today I want to talk about uh, how God wants us to live a life that really is fulfilled. Fulfilled means content. Fulfilled means satisfied. Fulfilled means, you know, something coming to completion in our our life, coming to fruition. So God wants us to live a place that is fulfilled and not just a place that is full. Uh, And I want to talk from the title of, if you want to jot this down, full and filled. That's what we're going to talk about, being full and filled. Turn to your neighbor right now and ask him, hey, are you full? Go ahead. You look a little full. You look a little bloated. No, I'm just saying, don't say that. You're going to start some fights. You respond back saying, yeah, and I'm filled too. I'm filled too, bro, or sis, or whatever. God wants to live us, have us live a life that is full and filled, fulfilled. We, I think we find this uh, in the story of uh, Matthew 2, and the story of the wise men. It is going into the, the Christmas season. Now we are in December, and I'm super excited about that. We can all tell that it's the Christmas season by Peach Street. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And how people just get stupid driving. Like, it's, I don't know what happens during this time of year, but there's just some dumb, crazy people out there. But the story of Matthew 2 is the story of the wise men. And if you've been around church or you've heard the Christmas story, it's these guys that they're searching for Jesus. They're trying to find Jesus, and they're trying to find Jesus in order to bring something to him, to bring their worship to him. And so I think in the story we find out how to live a life that is full and filled. Read along with me, Matthew 2. The Bible says this, that verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star, underline that, highlight that, we're going to talk about that. We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Let me tell you something, King Herod was a disturbed individual. Like, he was a a crazy man. I'm going to talk about that, too, in a little bit. It says he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Like, everybody in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you know that sometimes people can exaggerate and say it's everybody when it's not everybody? Like, from time to time, people will say, you know, know, Pastor, you know, Colby, everybody thinks that, you know, the music's too loud. 
And I'm like, who's everybody? Come to find out it's you and your mom, you know, that thinks that the music's too loud. I'm like, that doesn't concern me because that's not really everybody. I think this is kind of one of those moments where it's like Herod was disturbed and everybody in Jerusalem. And it really wasn't everybody in Jerusalem. It was like Herod and his mama maybe. You know, let's keep reading. Verse 4. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now let me pause here quick and tell you that Herod is managing two different things. One is that he was sent there by uh, Rome because Rome had basically taken over the known world at the time to kind of be the, the authority of Rome in this geographic kind of area. But also, he was there during the time where kind of the Jewish people, you know, had their own system of government and structure. And so when it says that, that he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, is because he called together the Jewish people's kind of authority structure. He wasn't Jewish and so he was calling them together. He was trying to manage both sides of this political climate. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, that's where Jesus was going to be born. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star, there it is again, had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him too. Which we all know, if you know the story, was not true. That was not his plan at all. He wanted to squash, you know, any thought that there would be a savior or messiah because it would threaten kind of his authority and his rule. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, the magi, and they saw the star they had seen it when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In other words, they went home a different way. And here's what I'm believing, that there are many of us in this room that we are going to go home a different way than when we came here today. Like, I don't mean geographically. I don't mean that you're going to avoid Peach Street, which you probably will. I'm just saying that something inside of you, like you're going to go home and something in here is going to be different than when you walk through these doors. That's what I'm believing. However, it's up to you, though. It's up to you. I'm just believing that if you would allow God to do something, he's going to have you leave here a different way than when you came. And I think the wise men are representative, really, of all of us in the sense that we're all searching for something. Did you know that? Like, I, I want to inform you if you don't know that's true, but you're searching for something. Like, every single one of us, we're, we're looking for something. Maybe you came through these doors today looking for uh, maybe peace in your life, maybe in your relationships or in your family. There's a lot of turmoil, but that could be the thing that you are searching for or you are looking for. The wise men were searching for something, of course. They were searching for the, the king of the Jews, this baby that was prophesied to be born. Maybe you're here today, you're searching for, for knowledge, right? Because boys go to college to get more knowledge. Girls go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Yeah, you've heard that before. Like, that could be what you're searching for, right? You're searching for knowledge. Maybe you're, you're, you're in school. Maybe you're, you know, trying to get some self, you know, kind of growth and development. Well, that's great. You might be here searching for knowledge. You could be here looking for contentment. Like, I, if I could just be content, 
in my life. But the reality is we're all searching for something. And the wise men were searching for something. And here's what I would submit, that no matter what you call it, wealth, promotion, knowledge, whatever it is, that the bottom line is we're all after fulfillment. We all want to be fulfilled in life. We all want to get to that place where we are content, where we are satisfied, where we are fulfilled. It's why we strive for more, is it not? It's why we go after things, which, which by the way, is not bad. Like, it's okay, go ahead, go after things, run after things, like, like grow, you know, develop your, yourself. I'm just saying some of us, we seek things oftentimes because something is, is missing. So we're searching for things. And I just happen to believe that God wants us to live in a place where you don't need things, but you enjoy things. Are you with me? There's a big difference, by the way, between needing something and enjoying something. Like, in a relationship, I think God wants you to be in a place where I don't need you know, that person to fill some need inside of me. Rather, I, you know, I would rather simply enjoy them and be with them. Because when I need you to fill something inside of me, then I'll end up using you. You know what I'm talking about? You following me? Like, but when I can just enjoy you, then I'll be a better husband. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better friend in the relationship. So there's a big difference between needing something and simply enjoying it. And I think God wants us to get to that place where we are already fulfilled and so we live out of that, that fulfillment that we have. And so the wise men, they're seeking after something. Like we're seeking after something. No matter your background, no matter if you are close to God today or far from God today, that we're all seeking something. And they were seeking. And I love the fact that God used a star in verse 2, it said, to get their attention. You know why I love that? Because it speaks to the reality that God will use whatever he can to get your attention. Because the wise men, they weren't just like priests, they weren't just these wise guys, but they were also astrologers. And they studied the stars, they studied the constellations. So I love the fact that God met them right where they are. You know what that means? That God is willing to use whatever he can to communicate to you in a language that you will understand to meet you right where you are today. Like that's good news. Isn't that awesome? That they were looking at the stars, and that they said, this is what's going to connect them to Jesus. God, use that. Like, I can imagine if you're anything like me, you can look back over times in your life where God has used something to try to get your attention. Something to maybe knock on the door of your heart. Something to tap you on the shoulder. In fact, I love the fact that, that God is not some high and holy God sitting on some holy hill, some place where we have to climb our way up to him to get to his level. But the Christmas season, isn't this a reminder? In fact, that God knew we couldn't get to him, so he sent Jesus here with us, that he's Emmanuel, that he is God with us, right, to bring us to him. So this story really is a reminder that God will do whatever it takes and he'll have a tailor-made plan to connect you to Jesus, which, by the way, here's what I want to tell somebody in this room. You're also a part of the plan for other people in your life. Like, God wants to use you to influence the, the, the people that you have in your life. You're a part of the tailor-made plan to reach people who are far from God. Like, you could be the catalyst as well. But I love the fact that God uses a star. He uses a star to speak to these guys to get their attention because that's where they were searching. That's where they were looking. And that God's word says that they came to give their worship in that same verse, to give their worship, bring their worship. And that's really interesting to me because usually when you and I are seeking after something, we're seeking something to get something, not to give something. 
You know what I'm talking about? If you're here seeking for peace, that's what you're after, right? You want to get peace. If you're here for, for knowledge, that's what you're after. You want to get some knowledge. If you're here for wealth, you know, you're, you're trying to get some wealth. Generally, when we're seeking something, we want something in return. And so I think it's interesting that they were seeking something in order to bring something, to give something, not to get something. And the wise men wanted to, to bring something, to give something. And what was it? It was their worship. They wanted to bring their worship to this, this new Savior, this king that was being born, and something stood in their way of them bringing their worship. Here's what I propose, that the moment you determine in your heart that you are going to uh, give your worship, there will be a Herod standing in your way. I bet that even this week or in the last few weeks as you've been seeking God, God, what is it that you would have me bring? Like we didn't surprise you. With this until Jesus runs this town offering because we, we believe that God wants you to not give under pressure or, or compulsion, but just prayerfully think what God would have you bring. But I bet that somewhere in the last few weeks, you've had some Herod standing in your way to bringing the gift that God would have you bring. Something that would, would get in the way of you bringing your, your worship. Because by the way, us bringing our, our gift today is worship. Did you know that? Like, it's not just the guy singing at the keys or, you know, the person at the, on the guitar. Like, worship is a song, but it's so much more than that. Worship is anything that gets our heart's affection and our mind's attention. And so we're all worshiping something, by the way. I guess the question for you is just what is the object of your worship? Like, we're all worshipers of something. Whether you believe in God or not, you're worshiping something. It could be a hobby that you worship. It could be a career that you worship. It could be, I'm sorry, the Steelers that you worship, perhaps. I don't know. Bad year for that. Like, but we're all, it could be God that is the object of your worship. The reality is, though, we're all worshiping something. And as these guys were looking to bring their worship, something stood in their way. They want to bring their worship, and Herod comes along, and he wants to know, right, where is Jesus in verse 3, where is Jesus? Because he wants to kill Jesus. Again, because um, Jesus would uh, threaten his ability to rule in that region if there was a Messiah that was actually being born. And can I tell you something, Herod? He was straight crazy, y'all. Like crazy, crazy. Like you think you know crazy, you don't even know crazy. Herod was crazy. He's a guy that tried to, actually he killed his sons because he threatened you know, he thought they were going to, he was paranoid that they were going to take over his throne. Like, you think, you know, it, you're worried about at Christmas hanging out with crazy cousin Eddie that's going to come visit. Like, you don't know crazy. Herod was crazy. And so he sent out this edict that said, all right, any kid under the age of two is going to be killed. Any baby, because the wise men did not come back to tell him where Jesus was. And so he wanted to kill all these babies that were under two. But the wise men didn't tell him. But Herod wanted to put an end to their worship. He wanted to stop it. A lot of times when we're trying to bring our worship, something wants to, to stop us. I would even go as far as to say that he wanted to steal their opportunity for fulfillment. Their opportunity to bring their very best to be, be fulfilled. Because here's the deal. In order to live a fulfilled life, you have to learn to live a life that you give away. Not that you get stuff. Being fulfilled is not about getting, getting, getting. It's about giving, giving, giving. You know, it's not all I do is win, win, win. It's like all I do is give, 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 right? That's like if you're ever going to discover how to live a fulfilled life, you have to get the principle of wanting to give your life away because that's where ultimate fulfillment 
is found. And they came to worship, but Herod wanted to stand in their way. And I bet that even as you've been praying about what God would have you bring, you've heard the voice of Herod, probably not the literal voice of Herod. If so, that's a little weird. And I bet that voice has said a couple things to you. Uh, One is that you've had the voice of, of fear kind of begin to rise up in your life. You know what I mean? When you get to that place of like, hey, God, I think this is what I'm going to bring. This is what we're going to do where God is asking you to give over and above. Like all of a sudden that voice of fear will begin to raise its head and speak to you like crazy and bring all the what ifs. You know what I'm talking about? Well, what if this happens or what if th- that happens? And you've, and you've given that, but, but this, this could happen and fear will begin to rise up and fear will insert all the what ifs into your faith. But here's what I've learned. Fear doesn't remove itself for me to have faith. Faith is when I move forward, even in the face of fear. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's not going to get rid of itself, and then I have faith to do what God's called me to do. It's when I move forward anyway and do what God's called me to do. I remember when Kristen and I had a chance to give, like, over and above. It was our second year, really, uh, of Elevate Church. This would have been in 2013, I think. Uh, The 2013-2014 uh, season and we're bringing our very best at the end of the year and I prayed and I'm like I, I told Kristen I think this is what God is is calling us to give and I gave her a number and then uh, she's like oh I was thinking double that and I'm like oh I thought I was going big and I wish I could tell you in that moment when she said that I was like well all right God let's do it I got faith for it you have no rival you have no e come on God I got you. But how many of you know that would be a lie? Because in that moment, you know, I was like, oh. And fear started to kind of rise up inside. Well, how are we going to cover this? How are we going to, like, we had just planted the church like a year and a half before. It's like, what are we going to do? But then God spoke to us and said, this is what you do. It's, it's giving in the face of those fears. It's not in the absence of that fear. And I think some of us, we've gotten to that place perhaps that, that God has, you know, asked us to worship him in a certain way, and all of a sudden we have this fear rise up. And if you're waiting, by the way, for fear to subside in your life before you bring your worship, you're going to be waiting a long time. And you're probably going to miss a lot of blessing along the way because it doesn't happen that way. Another voice that kind of gets our attention, wants to stop our worship, is the voice of doubt. You know, that comes from that moment where you're like, all right, God, I wanna, I'm going to do this. I think you've called me to do this. I feel like, you know, to give uh, this way, to, you're stretching me, and then doubt begins to creep in. And how many of you know that, that doubt will talk you out of what God has talked you into? It'll talk you out of what God is, is leading you to do. You'll start to doubt, well, maybe that wasn't really God speaking to me. Maybe it was the, the pizza that I had last night. You know, it didn't sit real well. Or maybe it was McDonald's at 2 a.m. Like, I don't know why we do that to ourselves, but we do. It's good. I can't help it. But it's like, you know, it starts to creep in. But just like fear doesn't remove itself in order for me to have faith, like doubt does not remove itself in order for me to obey. Like if God has told me to do something, like I'm going to obey. I'm obedient first. And then that thing that I doubted, I see time and time again how God was faithful in my life, even when I doubted in my life. But I, I think here's the third one, perhaps the most dangerous one of all, and it's the voice of apathy. Apathy wants to stand in our way of worship. And here's what I think. In a church like this, it's kind of easy for us to get to the place 
and go um, see all the goodness and all the things that God is doing and just become a little numb to it. When can I tell you something? What we're experiencing here in less than eight years is not normal. I know we've gotten used to it, and I know we celebrate it a lot, but what we're experiencing is not normal. And I don't say that because I'm the pastor, by the way. If I was a guest, and I walked in here for the first time, and I saw you know, a, a, a God blowing up in this crazy movement of God here in this city where, come on, let's be real, we have a lot of skepticism, we're very guarded in this city, but seeing what God is doing, I would tell every single one of you, what's happening is not normal. But a lot of times we can become apathetic and just get used to the fact that, oh, thousands of people crossed the line of faith, that's really nice. Or hundreds of people got, got baptized, yay God, you know, that was great. And we can become apathetic and numb to this amazing movement that we're experiencing in this, this city. Can I tell you something? There are churches that have never baptized hundreds of people, more or less have 100 people coming to church. 80% of churches in America are 80 people or less. What we are experiencing is not normal. But a lot of times we can get apathetic and this voice of apathy will creep in and start to say things like, well, you know, I don't know. I did that giving last year. I'm not sure I you know, I'm, can do it this year. I'll let somebody else do it. I'll let somebody else step up as if it's just a matter of us paying our dues, so to speak. I've had people say, oh, Colby, you know, I don't know if I'm feeling it this year. What? <laughs> like, show me in God's word, you know, where it says that, that you have to feel it in order to obey him. Like, well, show me where it says that, you know, it, well, if you're not feeling it, then don't obey me. But if you're feeling it, then it's okay. Like, aren't you grateful that we have a Savior that in the garden, when he wasn't feeling it in the moment, when he said, I don't know if I want nails driven through my hands and my feet. What did he say? But not my will, not my feelings, but yours be done. Like, we don't be apathetic towards what God is doing. It's not about the way we feel. God's word always trumps how we feel. Even if we don't feel it in the moment, he says for us to obey. But a lot of times we can hear these things and we can become apathetic to it. And Jesus is our greatest example that obedience to God's word always trumps the way we feel. Don't let the voice of apathy rob you of an opportunity to bring your worship. Because they came to worship Jesus and Herod wanted to stop their worship but the Bible says this uh, in verse 9, that even after the conversation, they continued on their way. You know what that says? In other words, they said, hey, we're not going to let fear keep us from doing what God's called us to do. We're not going to let doubt keep us from doing. We're not going to let apathy keep us from worshiping Jesus. In fact, we're gonna, you, you can't even talk us out of going to find our Savior and worship him in this way, come hell or high water. They just had the spirit about them that no matter what, they were going to bring their worship. I hope you walk through these doors today with that kind of spirit. That you know what, I'm going to kick doubt to the curb, I'm going to kick fear to the curb, I'm not going to be an apathetic Christian, I'm going to get involved with what God is doing in this earth. You can't even keep me from bringing my worship to God today. Come on somebody, hopefully that's the spirit that you're bringing with you. He says that's what they did, we're going to go no matter what, and we're going to bring our, our worship. And by the way, if God never did anything else for you, then save you and set you free, and pardon you from your sin, so you don't have to die in your sin, that would be enough right there for us to respond to the mercy and the grace that all of us have experienced. Amen? So it says they wanted to go give their, their worship 
And so they followed that star, again, because God will speak to you, and he will communicate with you exactly the way that you need it. And it stopped over the house, and most theologians and scholars believe that at this point in time, Jesus was probably around 18 months old. So I hate to break it to you. Those of you that recently purchased your new manger scene or dug yours out of the basement, and it has the, the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and everybody was there, that's not the way it went down. All right, just so you know, like they didn't all come at the same time. The shepherds came, and then the wise men came like, like two years almost later after that. And the Bible says that when they got there, they found Mary and the baby. Joseph wasn't there anymore because paternity leave is what, like a week or two weeks? And so he was back to work doing the carpentry thing. That's what he was. And so your major scene is not accurate. You don't have to throw it away. It's fine the way it is. But they came later. And it says when they, they got there, right, they, they wanted to bring their worship. And it said that they were overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? Because they got to give their worship. They got to bring what they, they wanted to bring. There was this, this spirit of joy. I think that when we give, there should be the spirit of joy. Like I know that for some of you, there might be some fear and uh, anxiety about it. I remember giving over and above the first time, and I, so I get that feeling. But can I tell you something? When we give this way and respond to what God is doing, like it's, it's followed by joy. Like that we get to do this. We get to be a part of this. Happiness is completely different. Happiness comes the morning of December 25th when your kids open presents. That's happiness. If you love Jesus, you open them December 25th, not Christmas Eve. Let me throw that out there because I always hated my friends. They're like, oh, we always opened ours on Christmas Eve. I'm like, you need to get saved because you don't open them until <laughs> Christmas morning, right? Like I hated them when they already got their stuff. But happiness happens the morning of December 25th and lasts for about two days. Does it not? When that toy loses its luster, when that new thing lost its, its novelty, right? But joy is something that sustains you. Joy is something that is, is lasting. And I love the fact that they came to give their worship and they were overjoyed about it because when you give, God will give you this joy because here's the deal. We don't give to get. We get to give. They were at that place where it wasn't about getting something. It was about giving. Like, what else can you give your resources to that makes an eternal difference? Like, that makes an eternal impact. That's something that's, that's lasting forever. Like, what else can you give your, your resources to that gives you an EROI, right? An eternal return on investment. Like, nothing other than investing in the only thing that matters, which is people, by the way. And if you want to have a, a lasting joy, right, you gotta, you got to give to things that outlast you. That's the only time you can, you can have a lasting joy is when you give to things that will last. And can I tell you something? When you give, lives are actually changed. I'm not, this is not preacher talk. But when you give, like, lives are changed. Like, I'm talking about people crossing over from, from spiritual death to spiritual life, people that were on 
on a direction towards separation from God for an eternity have now been able to come into a place like how our lives change because we create an environment where people who are far from God, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter the hurts or the habits or the hangups or the bad decisions you've made or the sin patterns you've been stuck in, we create an environment where the gospel is paramount and the gospel is preached. And when the gospel is preached, people's lives are changed forever. Like forever. Like marriages are healed. Like I'm serious. Again, that's not preacher talk. Like healed, forever changed. We've had people walk through these doors and say, I was going to end it. But I came here to give it one last shot. And God met me here in this service. And I understood who had my identity. And it was wrapped up in everything other than what it was meant to be in. And so they left here with a a new purpose for their life, deciding not to end it all. Like, we've had those stories time and time again. Let me tell you something. Let me show you, share some numbers with you. That in this last, last year, this year, our average weekly attendance in our church has been about 1,400 people, all right? 1,483, which last year at this time, it was around 1,300 or so. But even what's cooler than that, just this November alone our average attendance was 1744 and last year it was like 1400 like that's amazing what God is doing is amazing but those aren't just numbers because the best numbers of all this year alone we have seen check it out 352 people documented decisions cross the line of faith give their life to Jesus who were headed Far from God who are now headed to an eternal destiny in heaven. That's amazing. 352 people like have take that connect card and said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And you know what? About 90% of them are first time guests. How incredible is that? Like God uses you to bring people who are far from God. And when they get here, they have an encounter that is undeniable. And they give their life to follow Jesus. In fact, since we've launched this church, check it out. That's how many people have crossed the line of faith. Come on, somebody give God praise for that. Yeah. That's just God's goodness. That's just his greatness. In fact, we have so many stories of people and their lives being changed. And here's what's important about that number is every single one of those numbers has a name. Every single one of those numbers is a person who was far from God, who did not have hope, who maybe was stuck in addiction, stuck in hopelessness, who have now given their life to follow Jesus and has changed their life. And I wish I had time to share all those stories with you, but I do have time to share one. Take a look. Growing up, I lived a normal childhood. I had my mom and my dad at home. Mom stayed home and took care of my sister and I. My dad worked full time to provide for our family. I always felt as I grew up that something in my life was missing, but didn't quite know what that was. I always just felt there was some sort of a void in my life. And I had asked my mom one day, um, after looking at features that I had that nobody else in my family seemed to have, um, asked her if my dad was really my father. The answer was no, he wasn't my biological father. Um, When my mom found out she was pregnant with me at the age of 16. Uh, He had left and moved down to Florida, um, and I had never known about him. Um, So I wrote a letter and sent him a letter. Uh, He came to visit. We got to know each other. 
I also found out at that time that he was an alcoholic and an addict. So we drove down to Pittsburgh and went to the clinic in Pittsburgh. And I remember the entire time driving down there knowing it wasn't something I wanted to do. But at the age of 16, I knew it was something I had no choice. Um, I remember them calling my name and we went back into the room and I had second thoughts. I walked out of the room and went back into the waiting room looking for my mom and everybody that had gone down there with me and there was nobody there. Didn't have a choice but to go back into the building and have the procedure done. Um, next thing I know, I woke up feeling empty all over again. My parents weren't too happy about it. I was 18 and he was about to turn 21. Um, he also had been married and divorced, uh, just got out of the military and also had a two-year-old child. Um, Tyler I saw as the child that I had to give up. He was the same age that my child would have been that I had to, to terminate and felt that I was being given that second chance. The year after we got married, I slipped and fell on the ice. I had uh, broken two vertebrae and fractured my right hip. Uh, at that point is when I had been prescribed pain medication for the first time. It made me tired, it made me uh, feel different and weird, so I didn't care for that. Uh, but over time, the pain was too much that you know I needed to take them, and before I knew it, I started taking more and more. I was home a lot with the kids, and my husband worked a lot of hours. So the pills kind of masked all of it. I felt like I could accomplish anything. I thought I was super mom. Little did I know I, I was just a mess. Everything I had been through, I, I just wasn't in the mind frame of going to church. I had long felt that God had given up on me for the things that I had gone through, things I had done. As I pulled into the parking lot, I see all the people, uh, and as I walk through the door, the lady at the door is bubbly and happy just to open the door, and I couldn't understand why, so I immediately made a beeline to the coffee. And as I'm getting my coffee, this guy walks up and, and says hi to me and, and is so happy that I'm there and, and it really took me by surprise. It wasn't something I was expecting. And then we go into the auditorium and we sit down and I see the lights and speakers everywhere and drums and, and it was nothing like any church I had ever been to. So I wasn't quite sure what I had gotten myself into at that point. So as the service began, uh, they start singing a song uh, called Oceans. 
It was a song I never heard before, but the lyrics really spoke to me and to my soul. Um, I cried throughout the entire song, uh, and I'm in my act of addiction at this point, so every last lyric of that song, you know, spoke to me uh, once the song had ended, and we'd sat down, um, the guy from the coffee table walked out onto the stage. And it was at that point that I realized he was the pastor of this church. Um, he then preached about the Bible in ways that I had never heard before. Um, and I left th that day feeling hopeful about my life and feeling full again. So it was that same year for the Christmas service that I had returned with my family. And during that service, one of the worship leaders on the team had shared her story about addiction and recovery. Uh, it was after that service that I had spoke with her and she had shared her story a little more in depth with me and prayed over me. And at that point, I knew it was my time to, to get help and treatment. And not long after that, I was on my way to recovery myself. It felt really great to be able to serve my church and to serve the people of this church. I felt like I had purpose in my life again. In October 13th of 2018, not only did I celebrate five years of sobriety, but I was also baptized as well. So after years of feeling worthless, angry, frustrated, like I wouldn't amount to anything, I am now a leader on our production team and I have a front row seat to watch life change just like mine every single weekend. have been going through quite a lot lately and so on behalf of the church we wanted to get you a gift card and say thank you so much for all that you've done for us and so I knew you you know we've been kind of poking and prodding about appliances and things that you need and so we decided just to get you a, a gift card so here's a thousand bucks to Lowe's so it will help get anything that you guys need so we want to give that to you and say thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you so we much. We love you, Sarah. Thank you, guys. Yes. So we appreciate you so much. Our boiler went. And if, if that was all, if that was all we got you, that would be awesome. But that's not all we got you. And so in addition to that, what the right heck? here is for you. Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> Because you desperately need it, and we couldn't help but do it for you. So oh, that's too much. That's all for you. Oh
Come on, how great is God? Come on, how good is God? Come on, you guys. Is that amazing? That that's what we get to be a part of? Lives changed, addictions broken, helplessness erased, identity found, purpose realized, potential reached. Come on, somebody. God is good. He is so good. Hey, I'm not done yet, so take a seat. Take a seat. I want to share some numbers with you because here's what you need to know. When lives are changed that way, when marriages are restored, it doesn't just impact them. Like it changes generations to come. You should know that. That marriage has been brought together and now they're, they're bringing their little ones to church and they're hearing about Jesus and they're giving their life to follow Christ. It's breaking the cycle for generations after generations. So now they're coming and now their children are coming and the next generation is a part of a life-giving church. When you give, that's what happens. In fact, when you... When you give, we're able to support uh, some of our partners around the city, like the Erie City Mission that's doing amazing things where not only are people set free from addiction, like physically, but also spiritually, things are being broken off their life as well. The, the Salvation Army and helping those who need it the most here in our city. The, uh, we have Convoy of Hope around the world that are feeding literally 200,000 plus kids every single day day and your giving is a part of that. In fact, to our strategic partners, we've been able to give this year alone $37,721. How awesome is that? And can I say something? And this isn't a knock uh, about this time of year, but this time of year, um, awareness is heightened that we, you know, people are giving to those who need it the most. And that's a great thing. I want you to know that. That's great. But when you give, we don't just give to people who need it the most in December, but also in January and February and March and April. Like it continues to impact these organizations that, that do this all year long. It's what you're a part of. When we, when we give, we're able to come alongside uh, church planters like Kristen and myself that had a vision for their city and what a life-giving church could look like. And so we helped the Association of Related Churches, ARC, and, and this year we were able to give ARC, this amount right here, $32,764 to helping couples plant churches all over the nation and really the world. Like, and here's what you should know. This year alone, ARC has planted 65 life-giving churches. 65, that's amazing. And on launch day, Total attendance for those 65 churches was over 18,500 people. How awesome is that? And 800 of them gave their life to follow Jesus on launch day. You're a part of that. Like you need to know that there will be people in heaven, in eternity, because you gave that you have never met in your life. But you're a part of that. In fact, uh, not only do we give beyond these walls, but also we have a heart for the house too, for those that are needing just a little bit of a leg up when the electricity, you know, bill comes or the gas goes out, whatever it is, and we're able to help with rent and all kinds of needs right here in the house. And this year alone, we've been able to give $24,312 just to people right here. So in total, beyond our walls that we've given, get this, this year alone, here's what we've given beyond our walls. $128,328, that's awesome. You're a part of that, you're a part of that. 
And total from the lifetime of this church in less than eight years, check this out. Here's what we've given beyond our walls. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. That is investing in something that lasts forever, an eternal reward, an eternal investment. It's different when we, when we give. It's better to give. The Bible says there's something counterintuitive in God's economy, that, that more blessed you are when you give than when you receive. I don't necessarily know how it works, but God says he puts a special blessing on those that give above than just receiving. And so what I love about the Christmas story and about the wise men, they're coming to bring their worship. And the Bible says that, that they find the baby Jesus and they bring him their gifts of, of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they bring him these gifts? Well, they were kind of foreshadowing what was going to happen, but they were also gifts that were were representative of what you would bring a king, representative of, of someone who had value. Let me ask you this question before we bring our, our offering forward. Does the gift that you bring today reflect the value that you've placed on Jesus and what God has done in your life? If it has, that's worship. That's bringing your worship. That's bringing our best. That's giving to God, you know, what he's given us. It's, it's saying we're not gonna let doubt or fear or apathy talk us out of what we want to be a part of that's worship does it reflect the value placed on on Jesus and Luke Luke 6 says this give and you will receive your gift will be returned to you in full someone say full 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 and filled fulfilled pressed down shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap the amount that you give will determine the amount that you give back. There's something about giving. In just a moment, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna bring our Until Jesus Runs This Town offering forward in these boxes. And everybody has a, a envelope right in front of you. Maybe you've already grabbed that out. But it says give on it. And I would love everybody to use that envelope. And here's why, for a couple different reasons. Even if you give online, even if you text to give today, uh, like the, which is the easiest way, by the way. You can text, you know, 84321, the amount to 84321 and, and follow through with it and, and give through that online to Elevate Church. But however you give, I'd love for you to use that envelope and write it on there that you gave online, what the amount is, and I want you to bring that forward. And here's why I want you to use the envelope, because there's a space on the back. And I would love every single person to write on the back what it is that you are believing for in the harvest. The Bible says there's something about sowing and reaping that whatever you sow, you reap. I would encourage you, never give a gift, never sow a seed without believing for what you're going to get in the harvest. And it might not always be financial blessing, by the way, right? God blesses you in so many different ways. But if you write that on there, we will as a staff and as our prayer team stand with you in believing for whatever it is that you've written on the back of that. We'd love to be praying along with you. So go ahead right now, grab that envelope, like fill it out, and just write on there what it is that you're hoping God will do in this year in your life as you bring forward your gift. And so what's going to happen is the band's going to sing a little bit, and I'm going to come back out. When I come back out, I'm going to invite you to come forward and bring your envelope with you and drop it in one of these boxes. Everybody got it? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for what we get to be a part of. Help us never to forget. Help us never to get apathetic about the fact that what you're doing in and through this church, God, your church, what you are building, and is, is not normal. 
It's nothing short of an, a miracle. Every life change is a, a miracle, God. And we, we honor you and we give glory to you for it. And today as we bring back to you our gift that we've been praying over and just bringing before you, God, we know that it is an act of worship to you, that is holy to you as we return it back to you. And so, God, we ask that you would bless it and multiply it. And, God, we know you can do uh, way more than we can ask or imagine. And so, God, we put all our attention and our focus on you right now as we prepare to bring our offering. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this awesome journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can do so by going to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.